All right, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 21. Uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 36 here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, you can hold your place there uh, until we get uh, to reading the text. Uh, I'm sure many of you remember that uh, last year we were told by a gentleman named Harold Camping that the world was going to end in May. When it didn't, we were told that it was going to end in October. And it still didn't. Now, we are only 83 days away from a date that's created a lot of interest, the so-called Mayan prophecy that the world is going to end on December 21st, 2012. How many of you have heard of the Mayan prophecy? All right. I am surprised. Some of you, it looks like, haven't heard of that. So, um, so anyway, the world is to end, if you hadn't heard, on December 21st, 2012. Now, some of you probably saw the movie that was made as a result of this uh, so-called prophecy. Any of you see the movie 2012? Yeah, kind of an interesting movie, a little, little alarming. You kind of imagine being in the, some of those scenes, and that was a little, uh, a little frightening. Uh, I thought it was a, a good movie. These predictions have been around pretty much forever. Uh, they definitely have been around for the last 2,000 years since the time of Christ. And in my own lifetime, I have uh, lived through several of these uh, type uh, predictions. In 1988, a gentleman by the name of Edgar Wisnett uh, wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Was Going to Return in 1988. And even with all of those compelling reasons, Christ still did not return. And then if I remember this one correctly, I think I do, in 1994 we were told that all the planets in our galaxy were going to line up in a straight line, and that as a result of that, the gravitational pull between planets was going to be such that the earth was just going to be uh, ripped apart. And if I remember correctly, the planets actually did line up, and nothing happened. The, the world did not uh, end. And, and it's going to be that way on December 21st. December 21st is going to come and go. And then after that, there will be another prediction right around the corner of someone telling us that the world is about to end. I thought my son Aaron did a pretty good job of um, speculating what might have happened with the Mayan calendar. Uh, he suggested that the guy who was, you know, making the calendar probably just went you know, to 2012, and he thought, you know what, I'm so far out into the future, surely I can take a break, and they can resume this when we get within a couple hundred years of 2012. <laughs> and little did he know all of the angst he was going to ca cause people for his getting tired of making a calendar out into the future so far. <laughs> So while we know that Harold Camping was wrong, and while we're soon going to see that the Mayan calendar didn't mean what people have said, the Bible does teach us very clearly that history is leading us somewhere. History is not just random. It's not just a never-ending succession of events that really have no point or purpose. The Bible teaches that history is racing toward a destination that there is an end to the way things are now. The Bible clearly teaches this. And so we come to a passage of Scripture today in our series in Luke where Jesus teaches on the end times. 
And what I'd like us to do today is turn our thoughts away from things like the Mayan calendar, turn our thoughts away from uh, people like Harold Camping. By the way, I think Harold Camping is well-intentioned. I just think he's very misguided. Turn our thoughts away from Harold Camping and turn to the source where we can get reliable information about the end times. And within this passage that we're going to read, Luke 21, 5 through 36, we're going to find several things. We are going to find what we should expect to occur between now and the return of Christ and the end of the world. We're also going to find how we should live as people who are a part of the last days. And we're going to find history's destination. We're going to, going to see where history is leading us to, what history is leading us to. So if you have your Bible, just follow along uh, as I read uh, these several verses of Scripture. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I think you can appreciate as we read that, that this is a fairly challenging passage of Scripture uh, for us to understand. Uh, In it, Jesus seems to be discussing two distinct events, but those events have a lot of similarities with each other. His teachings seem to overlap in a way that it is difficult for us to to identify which events he's referencing at different points in this uh, discourse. We see first this uh, reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. Our text began with disciples remarking about the beauty of the temple and Jesus prophesying that the temple they were looking at was going to be torn down, that not one stone was going to be left on top of another. And this prophecy, this, this reference that Jesus makes in this text was fulfilled in A.D. 70 uh, when Jerusalem was sacked by the Roman armies. The, uh, the historian Josephus says that uh, during that uh, siege that 1.1 million people perished and 97,000 were carried off into captivity. I mean, just, just think of those numbers, 1.1 million uh, perishing. So we see that some of what Jesus addresses in this text was about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is something that has already happened in the past, A.D. 70. Additionally in the text, Jesus does clearly refer to the second coming of Christ and to the end of the world. Verse 26 references the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Verse 28 references your redemption is drawing near. Verse 31 talks about the kingdom of God is near. And verse 36 references standing before the Son of Man. And all of these point to the second coming of Christ and the end of the present world system. So so within this passage, we see reference to things that have already happened in history and events that are yet to come. And so the best way, I believe, for us to approach a text like this is to see Jesus predicting an indefinite interval of time from when he was teaching until his second coming in the end of the world where the events that he is talking about will be continually occurring. But then there is going to come a time when such events will occur for the final time and Christ will return. Uh, Daryl Bach explains a little better, I think. He says, this discourse discusses the character of an entire period from the time of Jesus' remarks through the destruction of Jerusalem and into the period of the Lord's return. So there are within this prophecy both short-term fulfillments, uh, such as uh, Jerusalem being destroyed, all the way to the ultimate uh, fulfillment with the return of Jesus. And so I share this before we go uh, forward to just encourage us not to get 
overly hung up on trying to work out in this text. Now, now when's he talking about Jerusalem? When is he uh, talking about the end? But rather to realize that what Jesus teaches applies to then, it applies to, to now, it applies to that point, however near or far it may be, when Christ will return. Now, this can make it a bit difficult uh, for us, a bit frustrating for us, because it makes it somewhat difficult to interpret the signs of the world today and know whether they are just representative of the type of things that have uh, happened over the last 2,000 years or whether they do, in fact, portend the quick approach of history's final destination. And so as you maybe took a peek at the outline today and and thought maybe Brian was finally going to talk about uh, when Christ was going to return, I I have to disappoint you. I cannot answer those kind of questions uh, for you today because I don't really have the answer to those questions. But here's what we do have the answer. Here's what we do know uh, from this text and from the Bible as a whole. We know what Jesus tells us to expect between now and when he returns. We we don't know exactly when that's going to be, but we know what to expect. We we know what to look for. We know the kind of things that are going to happen. We know how we should live as people who are in the last days. We really should uh, see all of history since the first coming of Christ as the last days. That's how the Bible seems to present it. The the last 2,000 years, really, uh, in Scripture, seem to be the last days. And we know where history is leading us. We know what history's destination is. And I would submit to us today that we should be satisfied with knowing those things. And we should embrace what the Bible states very clearly, and that is that no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. Now, some people try to be cute with that and say, well, we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the year, the month, and the week. (laughs) And here's what I would encourage you. Uh, Do not try to parse those words to mean anything other than this. We don't know when Christ will return. Okay? We just don't know. Those words were not meant to be parsed like that. They were, they were not meant to tell us that we could know the week, but just not the day or the hour. That's not what that uh, was intended for. So that's where we're going to focus our attention on for the next few minutes, the things that we can know uh, with great certainty. So first, let's consider what we should expect between now and the return of Christ. Verse 8, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, and then it says, do not follow them. Between now and the return of Christ, we are to expect false teaching that deceives people. False teaching that deceives. A false teaching has always been around. In the early church, there was, there was lots of teaching that was prevalent that it got rejected. And that's why many of the church councils formed to deal with false teaching. It's always existed. It, it did then and it does now. Uh, it's sometimes disheartening for me to step back and observe the level of deception that's at work in the world today. And sadly, not just in the world out there, but in many parts of the church. It, it is a sad thing to behold. It is characteristic of the last 
days. You know, we have Christians being taken seriously when they view the Bible as nothing more than a conversation partner. As if the Bible is one advisor that we gather around a table to to help us make decisions, but certainly not the authoritative Word of God. We have Christians, entire denominations, who embrace beliefs and practices that the Bible is crystal clear, crystal clear about. And yet whole segments of the Christian church say, no, the Bible does not mean what it clearly says. The clever arguments that are put forth by false teachers are appealing. Some of them are like really impressive with how they've like maneuvered things, maneuvered around truth, but they are deception and they lead people astray. They lead people away from God. And so friend, every single one of us here today need to study and know the word of God for ourselves. As we are in the last days, we need to know the Word of God for ourselves. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who, quote, examine the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. We need to know the Scriptures. Because one of the characteristics of the last days, we should expect false teaching that deceives people from now until the return of Christ, and we should be on guard. Verse 9. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. From now until the return of Christ, we should expect wars and international instability. This has certainly been true throughout all of the past 2,000 years. It's certainly true now. And I think you could make some argument that it's true in increasing uh, its True in an increasing sense, you know, the 20th century was the bloodiest century. It's hard for us to really grasp that, to think that with all the human advances that occurred in the 20th century and how uh, people today, you know, we kind of look back on past, uh, uh, past centuries as, you know, they, they really didn't know as much as us and they really weren't as civilized as us. And, and, and wow, they were just kind of sad people, really. I mean, for all of human history, people were just sad until the 20th century. And, and then there was just great progress. Oh, and more blood than any time in the history of mankind. And, and so we, we see that this is true, wars and international instability. And when one looks at the world today, it's almost breathtaking to realize how much instability there ex- that exists in the world. You do watch the news. There is staggering instability in our world. Here's an encouraging message. Don't expect that to change. Don't expect it to change. This is characteristic of the period that leads to history's destination. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events. Fearful events. You know, last year, 2011, the east coast of the United States experienced the biggest, strongest earthquake in over 200 years since 1875. That, no, 100 and... You it out. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 200. Over 300,000 people died in the earthquake in Haiti. What was that, two or three years ago? 300,000 people. National Geographic uh, did a, 
a report not too long ago where they said that the increasing urbanization of the world, all of us flocking to these densely populated urban centers is setting mankind up for loss of life on just unbelievable scale when earthquakes then hit uh, those densely populated urban centers. We are going to see more and more of these type of things, I believe, as the end draws near. These things are characteristic of the entire period between the time Jesus taught and his second coming, but someday they are going to portend the end. And it's hard for us in our day and time to know, do we just hear about more of these things because the prevalent, uh, prevalence of media, the, the seeming omniscience, um, um, just everywhere media, or are they really increasing? Is, is it really increasing? Uh, but, but these are the things that are going to happen, and someday they are going to portend the end. Verse 12, But before all this, they will deliver you up. You will be brought before kings and governors. Verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Now, this is an easy one for us in the United States of America to look at and say, well, I'm really not, I'm really not seeing it. But if we say that, we really just reveal how self-centered we are and how ignorant we are of what's going on around the world. The 20th century saw more Christians martyred than any other century since the time of Christ. In fact, one um, uh, report that I read this week estimated that there have been 70 million martyrs since the time of Christ. Now, try to wrap your brain around that. 70 million Christian martyrs since the time of Christ. And get this, this study estimated that 45 million of those occurred in the 20th century. Could this be portending the end, an increase? We wouldn't have expected that. I wouldn't have expected that. But an increase in martyrdom. Could it happen here? Well, of course not. Don't be too confident of that. Don't be too confident. Here's what we know. We should expect persecution between now and the return of Christ. All that joy from the Buckeye games just evaporated, hasn't it? <laughs> expect persecution. Verse 11 references great signs from heaven. Verse 25, there will be great signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint in terror for what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. A lot of stuff in there. And certainly we, we see these things at work in the world today from Hurricane Katrina, something that I never thought I would see, an entire city basically wiped out uh, from a hurricane, to the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2004 that killed 230,000 people. You know, eight of the ten most expensive hurricanes uh, that have occurred in the United States have happened since 9-11. In the past 11 years, eight of the ten most expensive hurricanes in U.S. history. 2011 saw the more, most tornadoes in the U.S. in half a century. 
Uh, I am reading more and more on uh, the Internet of these uh, reports of everything uh, scientists are discovering about the dangerous uh, place the Earth inhabits, uh, just asteroids and things just flying all over the place, uh, coming within, you know, millions of light years uh, of us, which is pretty close by, uh, by universe-wide uh, measurements, I guess. But danger, shaking in the heavens, uncertainty, instability. And we look at these things and we read about this stuff and, and it can be alarming. And while we don't know exactly what to expect, we should expect it is very likely that we are going to see more and more of this type of stuff as the return of Christ approaches. Now, Leon Morris questions how literally we should take verses 25 and 26. And he points out that often this, this language about this disturbance in the heavens is apocalyptic language to denote sudden and violent change and the emergence of a new order. And so whichever it is, uh, let, let's, let's go with that for a second. Let's go with Morris's thoughts. Are we seeing sudden and violent change around the world? Yes. Arab Spring, attacks on U.S. embassies, growing threats from Russia, growing threats from China, the whole Iranian situation that just has the entire world on edge and weapons like didn't exist 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago that have the potential to destroy life on earth. Is there uneasiness among many that we're in uncharted waters? Yes, there is. If you watch much news at all, you hear this phrase, uncharted, uncharted waters, a lot. It seems to be on everybody's lips. We're, we're in uncharted territory. Morris says of the last days, they will know that strange things are happening, but they will not understand what is about to befall them. Is it possible that the uneasiness that so many people feel today is due to sudden and violent change? that is about to come upon the world. These things have been happening in varying degrees since the time of Christ's teaching in Luke 21, and they're going to continue until Christ returns. But one of these times, these events that come will be the ones that occur just before history reaches its destination. I can't say with much certainty. I, I don't know what this means in terms of timing. But my own sense, just my own feeling, my, my own belief is that events in the world are lining up in such a way that in the not-too-distant future, we will see history's final surge to the goal line of its destination. It's just, just my opinion. It seems to me that in God's plan... This entire span from Jesus' teaching until the return of Christ should be viewed as the last days. And I personally believe that we are on the far end of that. Very close to the times that will usher in the return of Christ. How should we as people of God conduct ourselves as people living in the last days? Now, I've made the case that wherever we are, we're in the last days. But, but especially if we are the people that are just right on the verge 
of seeing history reach its destination, how ought we to live? We shouldn't be surprised, but rather we should expect to face persecution. This is one of the ways that we need to be prepared to live as people who expect persecution. In the words of Jesus, the persecution will come, quote, on account of my name. And then he says in verse 17, all men will hate you. Why? Because of me. Listen, I think that most of you, there might be a few exceptions here, but most that would think differently than what I'm about to say, but I think most of you would, would recognize that I am not a fan of obnoxious, mean-spirited, belligerent expressions of Christianity. I'm really, really not. But within the church today, I see something that is just so misguided. And here's what it is. There is this notion prevalent in the church that if Christians would just quit being such idiots, everybody would come to Christ. It's all over the place. If Christians weren't so pathetic, the world wants to come to Jesus, but Christians are just so awful that people can't get past them to get to Jesus. Now, this is true occasionally, okay? I'm not saying that's never true. There are times that that is true, but friends, that is really not on any widespread scale what is keeping people from Christ, at least not according to Jesus. Jesus teaches very clearly in the Scripture that the world will persecute His followers, that they will deliver them to prisons, that they will bring them before rulers, quote, on account of My name. He says very clearly that Christians will be hated because of Him. Now what you need to understand is Jesus has always had a motley crew that followed Him along. Okay, there has never been a time when Jesus' people were exactly what Jesus' people should be. So he said this, understanding that a lot of his people were a problem. And he still says, the reason people are going to hate you is because of me. And so, friend, if... if if you are being an obnoxious, belligerent, mean Christian, then you need to examine that, you need to, to accept that, and you need to change that. But you should not, between now and the return of Christ, see persecution as a sign that you necessarily did something wrong. Persecution will come if we faithfully bear witness to Christ. And so we should expect that from now until his return. Be prepared for persecution. Don't see it as a sign of God's displeasure with us. Again, examine yourself. Make sure you're loving like Jesus. But settle in your mind that identifying with Christ itself is enough to bring persecution into your life. And don't be surprised when it happens. In verse 13, Jesus says, This persecution will result in you being witnesses unto them, the people who are persecuting you. So how are we to live in the last days? 
we commit to bear witness to Christ in the face of great difficulty. We just need to settle this right now in our minds that no matter what happens between now and when Christ returns, we will bear witness to Him. And if we're going to do that, friends, we better do a few things. We better get His Word deep in our heart. We better have a strong relationship with Jesus. We better be praying people. We better be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit because we will not be able to bear witness to Christ in the face of great difficulty if our relationship with Him is not strong. Not going to be able to do it. Verse 13, make up your minds not to worry. No no matter what happens between now and the return of Christ, we need to be people who do not worry because we know that God is in control. Now look at verse 18. But don't get too excited because I'll read another one right after this one. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Yes. Verse 16, they will put some of you to death. Wow. How, how's that work? I want to be in not a hair perishes. I want to be in that group. Jesus, I would like to nobly volunteer to be in the group where not a hair, well, you know, you know what I mean. Okay, so not a hair of your head harmed. But some put to death. Is this a contradiction? What, what, is, what is up here? And as with anything, many thoughts have been uh, put forward, but I found Morris to be very helpful here. He writes this, It seems best to see Jesus directing their minds to God's strong control and purpose. It is that, God's strong control and purpose, that determines whether they live or die, not the scheming of their enemies. How do you live free of worry and stress in the midst of great difficulty? How do you live free of worry and stress in the midst of persecution? By believing deep down in your being that God is in control and nothing is going to come to your life that God is not sovereign over. That's how. That's how you do that. And no matter what happens, He is with you. Whether you live, whether you die, you are in His loving care. This has application for us whether Christ returns in our lifetimes or not. Because every single one of us are going to come to our time of death. And it's going to be important when that happens that we have settled deep in our heart that live or die, we are in God's care. He is in control. Nothing's happening to us apart from His love. But if persecution comes, if we ever see come to America what those in other parts of the world have experienced, we may have to apply this 
in ways that we never dreamed that we would. But Jesus can say to a people in, in horribly frightening circumstances, Jesus can say, do not worry, because he knows he's in control, he knows he loves us, and he knows history's destination. He knows where we're headed. Verse 14, do not worry beforehand how you would offend yourselves, for I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Between now and the return of Christ, when persecution comes, Jesus promises us that the Holy Spirit will empower us to face whatever confronts us. Called to testify before hostile authorities, the Holy Spirit will give the words to speak. Called to bear witness before an angry mob, the Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower Called to endure natural disasters and international upheaval, the Holy Spirit will empower. Called to face events that cause the hearts of men to fail, the Holy Spirit will strengthen and uphold. Whatever lies between today and the return of Christ, we do not face it on our own. We face it with God. We face it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a little clip that I'd like to show you of uh, a little section from a movie that I think uh, illustrates this point uh, pretty well, and I think that you will uh, enjoy this. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Couldn't you pretend to be like you used to be? <laughs> Give me some comfort. something lucky group number one sees it as more than luck more than coincidence they see it as a sign evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them group number two sees it as just pure luck a happy turn of chance I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way for them this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. But there's a whole lot of people in the group number one. They see those 14 lights they're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? 
question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? I hope that you got the point. Two kinds of people in the world. Some look at impending doom. They're filled with fear. Some look at impending what's thought of as doom and are filled with hope. And the difference is some believe that there's somebody who is in control of the events. There is somebody who is looking out for them. Verse 34. Be careful your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Dissipation is a fun word. How, how many of you uh, are familiar with the word dissipation? Nope, I wasn't either. Uh, it basically means unrestricted pleasure. So what Jesus is saying to them here is that they should not be weighed down with sinful pleasures, drunkenness, and anxiety. And we look at that list and we think, well, okay, I get the sinful pleasures, I get the drunkenness, but, but anxiety, well, why, why is that in there? I believe it's in there because just like sinful pleasures and drunkenness, anxiety is displeasing to God. And so he's saying to them that if we're going to face the last days, we have to face them getting everything out of our lives that is displeasing to God. The last days are no time to be messing around with sin. No time to allow your relationship with God to grow weak, which can serve to strengthen anxiety's grip on us. The last days are a time for walking close with God because to face what's coming, we need the strength of God. Verse 36, be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. How do we live in the last days? Alert and praying. Alert to the times and praying. Praying for God to come quickly. Praying for the strength to stand firm. Praying that we may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. See the turmoil in the Middle East? Pay attention. Pray. See growing intolerance of Christianity? Be alert. Pray. Hear of wars and rumors of wars? Pay attention. Pray. See natural disasters and diseases? Pay attention and pray. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How do we live in the last days? We must trust God's word. Trust God's word. One of the best things that you can do to prepare your heart for whatever lies between now and the return of Christ is this. Get the word of God in you. Fall in love with the Bible. Study it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. This book gives us the words of Jesus. Words that will never fail. Words that are the very words of God. We can rely on it and we need to rely on it. How many of you, I don't want to make you identify yourselves. Um, those of you who have emergency preparedness checklists, 
you, you went somewhere and you saw, uh, uh, you, you went to some expert that told you how to go about doing that. And often what they would, uh, would say to you is the number one thing you need to give attention to is securing water. How many of you, well, no, that, that'll make you out yourself again. Okay, so, so anyway, to live in the last days, to, to know and trust God with whatever happens between now and, and the return of Christ, here is what needs to be at the very top of a Christian's preparedness checklist. Knowing the Bible, trusting the Bible. We do not know if we are going to be spared difficulty or if we will live through the difficulty that's coming on the world. But whatever is the case, we can trust God's Word, which will never pass away. So we need it uh, in us. Verse 28. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In the last days, we are to stand up and we are to look up. We are to lift our attention because we know that Christ is coming soon. Our redemption is drawing near. The object of our faith is about to appear. Living in the last days, friends, should fill the Christian with excitement in anticipation of what is just about to come. And what is about to come is that history is just about to reach its ultimate destination. This isn't all just a coincidence. Life isn't just a matter of chance. The events of history are not random. It's not just a meaningless cycle of of unending stuff, unending activity on planet Earth. History is pressing toward a goal. It is hurtling at warp speed toward a predetermined destination. History's goal, history's destination is just about to be reached. And when it is reached, here is what you will find. Jesus Christ will be Lord of all. That's what's about to happen. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess what has been true all along, that Jesus is Lord. John, in the book of Revelation, wrote this about history's destination. I heard a loud voice from the throne, from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear. History's destination means that every tear is wiped away. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. History's destination means no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who sat on the throne said, I am making everything new. History's destination, everything new. History's destination is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of King Jesus in full expression. We see it now, but not fully. But history's destination brings the fullness of the kingdom of God. We are headed somewhere. There is a destination that is inside. We are getting close. And so Jesus said at the conclusion of the revelation, three times in the final chapter of the book, he gives us a promise. Behold, I am coming 
soon. Behold, I am coming soon. And then in the last few verses of the last chapter of the entire Bible, he says it this way, Yes, I am coming soon. And to this proclamation of Jesus, John responded this way, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We can face whatever happens between now and the return of Christ, knowing that history's destination is about to be reached. Our faith is about to become sight. Every wrong is about to be made right. Christ is going to be glorified. Christ is going to be exalted to the glory of God the Father. We are going to live under His loving rules. Sin, disease, and sickness finally vanquish. Christ victorious, His name exalted forever. 10,000 years and forever more. That's what's about to happen. And, and here is what I really want you to understand. I've left lots of questions for you unanswered today because I don't know the answer. But here is what we know. These things that we've just talked about, what's going to happen how we are to live, and what the destination is. We know these things for certain. These things are all we need to know to stand strong and to look forward with expectation for what is soon to happen. It's all we know, and it's all we need to know to stand strong. Why don't you stand together?